Hi, this is Steve Nerlick from Cheap Astronomy. Why, 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 why Cheap Astronomy? Yeah, why? And this is Dear Cheap Astronomy, episode 59, Mars Again. So yes, Mars again. When we're not obsessing about black holes, relativity, dopey interstellar drive ideas or orbital mechanics, here at Cheap Astronomy, we bang on endlessly about Mars. And how stupendously more difficult it will be to land there than to land on the Moon, although we will manage it one day, but almost certainly not in the 2030s. Dear Cheap Astronomy, What's with Mars dust storms? Every Martian year, There are continent-sized dust storms. Not that Mars has continents, but you know what we mean. They're really big dust storms. But some years those dust storms meld together to produce a PEDE, a planet-encircling dust event. There was one this year in 2018, and there was one back in 2012, and in 2007, and in 2001 which suggests that PEDEs happen every three Martian years, remembering that one Martian year is 687 days, which is almost two Earth years-ish. There was even a PEDE way back in 1971 when the Mariner 9 probe arrived, becoming the first spacecraft to ever orbit another planet. Although because of the PEDE, It had to wait in orbit for several months before it got a clear view of the surface. But anyway, whether they are PEDEs or just really big dust storms, these events happen once a Martian year, around perihelion, when Mars's elliptical orbit brings it 19% closer to the Sun than when it's at aphelion. The additional solar flux at perihelion heats the surface, which heats the thin carbon dioxide atmosphere nearby, and that heated gas rises. Also, Mars spins nearly as fast as Earth does, so its atmosphere is spun too, and it also undergoes day-to-night heating and cooling, all of which creates winds, just like it does on Earth. And, just like on Earth, those winds move laterally as well as upwards, creating vortices and whirlwinds all of which work to lift a substantial amount of dust into the sky. Furthermore, Mars's axial tilt of 25 degrees means the poles get sunlit for long periods during its orbit, so at perihelion, a lot of the frozen polar carbon dioxide sublimates, which adds a bit more gas to the atmosphere, and hence a bit more oomph to the whole dust storm process. Why you get big dust storms every Martian year, but you only get a planet-encircling dust event every three years, is not fully understood, but might be about the way the dust settles back on the surface after a storm. So maybe the two successive years which just have local storms concentrate the dust in a way that then feeds a planet-encircling dust event in the third year, which then disperses all that dust over a much wider area, which resets everything, so for the next two years there's only enough concentrated dust for local storms. 
And it's also worth considering what we think of as normal. So while we might ask why does Mars have all these crazy huge dust storms, we might equally ask why Earth doesn't have them. After all, it's always hotter here, and we've also got way more atmosphere than Mars does, meaning that Earth has all the factors needed to produce vastly denser winds, which are capable of lofting vastly more dust off the surface. And that much is actually true. But what we also have in abundance on Earth is water. Any appreciable amount of moisture in the air means that small particles lofted upwards will quickly clump together to create larger particles that even our denser atmosphere can't keep aloft. And of course, one solid downpour of rain will strip all the dust from the sky in a matter of moments. On the very dry Mars, there is always dust in the air. Most of the dust put up there by the perihelion dust storms does fall back out of the sky, but never all of it. Which is why all the probes we've ever landed on the surface look up to see a red sky. Anyhow, if you really needed another reason why it's such a terrible idea to send people on a one-way trip to Mars anytime soon, well, here is another reason. Unless we're going to fly nuclear reactors along with the colonists, the only current solution we have to powering a Martian base is solar power. But we know that every two Earth years, there's a real risk of a dust storm that might decimate that electrical power production. And every six Earth years, there'll be a planetary-wide event that will definitely decimate that electrical power production. So look, we will get to Mars, one day, just not right now. There's a whole bunch of stuff we still need to think through. So, pay your taxes, fund your space programs, and inspire your children. That's how we'll get to Mars. This is the middle bit. So, there you go. We're not trying to say a Mars mission is out of the question... It's just really hard. But of course, although it is really hard, we have still managed to land some robots there. Just listen to this. Dear Cheap Astronomy, How many microphones have we landed on Mars? Well, technically none. At least none that have landed in working order. You may have recently heard the sounds from Mars that were picked up by NASA's InSight lander in December 2018. However, these sounds don't quite fit the definition of what we'd normally consider sounds. One was the output of the InSight seismometer detecting the movement of InSight solar panels in the Martian wind, and the other was an air pressure sensor responding to the faint fluctuations in pressure resulting from the passage of that same Martian wind. In both cases, the frequency of the signal had to be raised to make it audible. For the solar panel movement, it wasn't that much, essentially just adjusting a low bass tone up to a treble but the frequency of the air pressure signal had to be raised a thousand times. 
So while it is true that sound is just mechanical energy propagated by pressure waves through the atmosphere, there's a point where you have to start asking whether a sound that you can't hear is actually a sound at all. It's reasonable to accept there are some sounds that we can't hear, like those sounds that dogs and even bats hear, not to mention sounds that younger people can hear. But once you have to raise the frequency of a signal by a thousand times to make it audible, it's a bit of a stretch to call that a sound. In any case, if you did land a bog-standard audio microphone on Mars, you really could hear something, at least now and again. In a laboratory on Earth, we can simulate the cold 0.01% atmospheric pressure of Mars's carbon dioxide atmosphere. And when you do that, what we'd normally consider to be sounds on Earth are still audible. Those sounds have a lower frequency, that is a lower pitch, mainly because it's a carbon dioxide atmosphere and it's cold. Here's an example the Planetary Society developed... Ray Bradbury on Earth. This is Ray Bradbury calling to you from the planet Mars. And Ray Bradbury on Mars. This is Ray Bradbury calling to you from the planet Mars. The very low atmospheric pressure on Mars mainly affects sound attenuation, which means that sounds on Mars will fade much more quickly over distance than they would on Earth. This means that Mars will be a much quieter place than Earth is, Notwithstanding, there's not that much going on on Mars to make sounds in the first place. But we are confident we will hear wind and perhaps some electrical disturbances in the atmosphere that produce thunder, although it will be a very quiet sort of thunder. Probably the loudest things of all will be the sound of our own robots going about their business. Mars is, after all, a robot planet. The reluctance to date to send microphones to Mars is mostly because anything you send to Mars will cost you. There's a certain financial cost, but more importantly there are opportunity costs. Because there's always a huge list of stuff that people want to send to Mars, so if a microphone goes, then something else doesn't go. And while there's a certain scientific value in getting audio data... No one's expecting you'll get a lot of different data, since the only things moving around are either the atmosphere or your robot. The sound of wind might change a bit when you get different wind speeds, but if wind speed data is what you want, you'd be much better off sending an anemometer, which measures wind speed directly and can send back much more high-precision data than what you could estimate from a microphone and the data that you get from an anemometer will be straight numerical data, which will take up far less data bandwidth than an audio stream would. Carl Sagan first suggested sending a microphone to Mars, and it does seem a bit like turning Voyager 1 around to photograph the pale blue dot of Earth. That is, it's more about captivating public interest than it is about science. The Planetary Society founded by Sagan and colleagues, has since led the way with Mars microphones, and they did actually manage to get one on board the Mars Polar Lander. But sadly, it crashed rather than landed, and that was that. 
the Planetary Society's next attempt will be aboard the Mars 2020 rover. So, while the InSight lander gave us pseudo-sounds, the real thing may only be a couple of years away. Onwards and upwards. And let's turn it up to 11. This is the end bit. So, Mars is an interesting place. And we are starting to get to know it. Which is good and will certainly help when Mars missions do eventually become a reality. Soon, the Mars 2020 rover will put a helicopter drone there, which is certainly going to add to making the place more familiar, and of course there'll be sound coming from the rover's microphone. Ultimately, this is the way that we'll explore the universe. By not so much going there, as virtually going there. But that's it for another episode of Dear Cheap Astronomy. If you've got a space science question or you just don't want to be seen for the dust, why not write to cheapastro at gmail.com and let us talk in a partial vacuum for you. Thanks for listening. Steve Nerlich, Cheap Astronomy.